0: Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. So we're in 1 Corinthians 13, and... I've the last couple of weeks had a young man read and you may think that the reason I have a young man read is because I'm a sexist and it's not, when I was a young man I would have been punctilious about having both boys and girls read. But I think little boys need to grow into leadership And I think, especially today, there's a little bit of a need for affirmative action for young men. And something else than hunting. I mean, it was pathetic seeing Samuel's picture on Facebook. I don't use Facebook, by the way. But seeing Samuel's picture there with a deer. You know, he could read scripture, but his dad takes him. So anyhow, Peter, pumpkin eater is the one who's going to read to us this morning. He's going to read. You know where you're going to read, right? You don't know where you're going to read? All right. You're going to read, and you know what to say before you read, right? You say, this is the word of the God, and it's eternally true. First Corinthians 13, and then you read. Oh, wait. i got to give you the mic. <laughs> okay. So say, this is the word of God, and it's eternally true.
1: This is the word of God and it's eternally true. 1
0: Corinthians
1: 13. 1
0: Corinthians 13. Speak a little louder, but don't say that. All right, right,
1: now, go ahead. If I speak with with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and the and known all the mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but but do not have love I'm nothing and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I sur- surrender my body to be burned but t- but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patience, love is kind and is not jealous love is love does not brag and is not er- arrogant does not act un, unbe, unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take unto account a wrong truth Bears. Wrong suffered does not rejoice unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will dawn away if they our tongues they will cease if there is known knowledge it will be done away for we know in part and we prophecy in part but but okay when,
0: you want to have a lesson What's the difference between this word and what verse is it? Um, Yeah, but where did it... Okay, here. What's the difference between that word and this word? Oh, it is prophecy, yeah. Is the prophesy in this somewhere? Okay, yeah, so let's deal with this prophesy. So yeah, there they are. Okay, I'm sorry. It takes me a while. This word you pronounce prophecy and this word you pronounce prophesy. Did you know that? Yeah. You did? I don't know. What's the difference between prophecy and prophesy?
1: They have no. essency.
0: This is a verb and this is a noun. And so what you do is you prophesy a prophecy Okay.
1: Okay.
0: Can you get back on the horse now? Okay. I don't know. Let's see there. Okay.
1: Okay. For we know in part, and we prophesy in Mm, 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 part. We prophesy in part, but when the prophets come, the partial will be done away when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I didn't I did weigh the childish things, for no we see now. it for now we see in a mirror dimly but the face to face now I Know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, love abide,
0: faith. these
1: faith, hope, love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
0: So again, we are in um, 1 Corinthians 13, and uh, you know, it occurs to me, um, what we ought to do before I go ahead is have Stephen um, introduce Jorge and Bill, and Stephen, where are you? Could you introduce them and and talk a little bit about them, please? Oh, well, okay, you can say that, yeah. So this is uh, Claudio's mother and father, Jorge and Bilma Molina. Would you please stand? Hello. you have met, uh, Jorge has uh, been here before and has spoken just briefly with the translator uh, and he's going to do that again next Sunday where he will come and and have the opportunity just to bring greetings from the church in Argentina. Um, Be praying for Bilma, she's had some cancer and so please pray for her that God would heal her and then also Don and Gail Donnell are here with us. Many of you remember Don and Gail. That's Amy's mom and dad. So we're very happy that you're here. You know that I'm preaching a sermon that my, this whole series, my brother David, uh, I'm using his manuscripts. And. So this morning, David Carell and Mary Lee and I were talking, and she told me that I'd better apologize to my daughter. And she, she said, you know, it's good that our daughter Heather isn't here today to hear you preach on impatience. Have you apologized to her yet? And I said, well, uh, you know, I don't have any question that I need to apologize to anybody. But I wanted to know what, and so she told me what I needed to apologize for. And then I said to her, You know, Ever, um, there, there really is no hope for anybody preaching if they ever have a family member. And if there's ever a chapter of Scripture that completely decimates you as you come to preaching, it's 1 Corinthians 13. And so let me just right up front tell you, if you want to call me a hypocrite, call me a hypocrite. If you want to call me a sinner, call me a sinner. If you want to call me a piece of work, call me a piece of work. But it doesn't really make any sense for you to look at me. Because there's more than enough in here for all of you. And I'm not preaching this because I've arrived. There are some texts... In Scripture that I could preach because I've arrived at that text, like uh, where um, Saul Saul says, "I've been. Behold, I have come to seek my father's ass, and I have found him." (laughs) I don't think my wife would be critical of me for preaching that one. I'll have a chance to make more apologies and more confessions later, but would you please think about yourself? Because the reason that God put this chapter in Scripture was not because he was setting out to do a a definitive analysis of the nature of love, but it was because it was a church that just couldn't stand each other. And I'm sure if you'd asked the Corinthians, they would have said, oh yeah, we love each other, you know? But whatever their love was, if you read the book and see what their love was like, you realize there was no love in the church. And the immediate question when there's no love in a church is, do they love God? How can you love God and hate your brother? And the Corinthians would say, we didn't hate our brother. And then you say, so you're getting drunk at the Lord's table while somebody else is poor, is there? Is that not hatred? Well, no, we we just didn't realize what we were doing, you know how? You always say, well, I didn't realize, right? So today, let's uh, let's look at this with a little bit of self-critical capacity. Okay? With an emphasis on self. <laughs> all right. Now, you know the church the Apostle Paul was writing to. It was a contentious church. They fought all the time. They... They promoted themselves over other people. They were braggarts. They were sexually immoral. They tolerated sexual immorality. And so we know it's a church that didn't love. And as I said last week, so 1 Corinthians 13 is just kind of, you know how the Apostle Paul will stop in the middle of saying something and he'll go off on a tangent. So 1 Corinthians 13 is a tangent. And it's like, dudes, Do you even love each other? Love is patient. Love is kind, you know. It's like your mother. She's had it. She stops everything and she starts lecturing. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing with this. And The first third of uh, of it is saying, without love, it doesn't matter what spiritual gift you say you have, it's worthless. Second third is, okay, you want to know what love is, here's what love. The third third is, hey, listen, when everything's said and done, only love's going to remain. So that's how the the chapter breaks down. And and we're in the middle section. And the middle section is um, what it would help us to think of as the hard edges of uh, love. And that's one thing we're all convinced love doesn't have. I mean, the whole nature of love is it, it's softness. And so because we all think of, of love as being sentimental, as love as being a feeling, you know, sort of gushy, that kind of thing, it has to be soft, it can't be hard. Then ask yourself, is it hard or easy for you to be patient? Okay? Okay? And immediately you realize love is hard. It is not an emotion. I said this last week, I'm going to say it again this week, because in this past week in counseling, again, you have to explain to people, love is not a feeling. How many times in counseling you'll have a husband, it's typically the husband, not the wife, you'll have a husband look at you and and he'll say, I don't love her anymore. I mean, you, you have no idea how often husbands say that. In the church, husbands and I don't love her anymore. And, you know, sometimes you fantasize about saying to the husband, Oh! Oh! I didn't realize that! <laughs> well, that certainly puts things in a different light. This is such a stupid thing to say. But that's because we've been raised in a, in, a, in a hallmark Facebook culture. And everything's sentiment, and we all think that we've arrived if our wife gets tears in her eyes, and they're tears of love and not tears of anger. And so what we do is we go through life trying to catch those moments that can go up on Instagram. Instagram. And listen, you will never Instagram your patience. Okay? It's not worthy of an Instagram. It's, it's not worth taking a picture of. <laughs> okay? Because it's probably pretty bloody. I'm not talking about bloody the other person. I'm talking about what it requires in you to be patient. And you're not feeling real spiritual and sentimental when you're patient. I mean, the thing about patience is it's hard. That's why you have to be patient to be patient, right? And so people, men, typically in a marriage will say, I don't love her anymore. And you know, you're supposed to sit there and go, well, get a divorce. <laughs> you know, that's our culture, you know, no fault, divorce. You know, you don't love her anymore, divorce her. You know, it's simple. I mean, it's just an incompatible marriage, divorce her. But no, what you're, what you're supposed to do if you know God is you're supposed to say, well, then start. And of course, the response of a man like that to you saying, well, then start, you know, is... Did you hear what I said? I don't love her anymore. And you go, get in a closed loop, you know? That's right. And I said, start. <laughs> I don't love her anymore. Yep, but start, start, start. Pretty soon you got the crankshaft going, and the engine starts catching. Listen, that's what a marriage is. A marriage is getting out the crank, putting it in front of the engine, go, and pretty soon, before you get tired, hopefully, the engine will start catching. That's all wedding ceremony is. It's the crank starting, 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 okay? Crank starter. Some of you, instead of loving your wife, you're a crank. And all the wedding did was start your Crank. And that's not love. And God commands us to love. And love is hard. Do you hear me? Love is hard. My favorite quote about weddings, and I'm thinking about weddings because some of us were at a wedding last night. And, you know, we could talk about how beautiful the bride was and what a wonderful venue it was, and the music was sweet, and all this stuff. But what I think at weddings increasingly is I'm not sure which of them deserve the other less. <laughs> you know, there's, there's not much romance when you do the premarital counseling. Remember what I said premarital counseling was last week? <laughs> Come back after you're married. <laughs> Yeah, that's remarital counseling. Every pastor will agree with that. You know, there you sit, and there's just ah ah. And you go. My favorite quote about marriage is by the martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He and, and it's a it's a gross paraphrase, but he says, "Love does not make the marriage, but the marriage makes love." Those of you that are single, remember that. We could take anybody in this room of the opposite sex and tell you when to show up and have a preacher ready. And probably that marriage would be better than who you would choose naturally. And the marriage would make the love. Your parents have much better clues. I don't care if they're believers or unbelievers. Usually they have a much better idea of who's going to be good for you than you do. Okay? Our infatuation with romance is an infatuation. All your friends that talk about what a wonderful, godly husband they have are lying through their teeth. That's why Facebook exists. So that every woman can tell every other woman how superior she is, her marriage is, her husband is, even her little children sitting on the John. Okay. Love is hard-edged, and love is actions. And what a marriage is, is everybody in the community, everybody in the community, throws money and time and music and, and time and time and time and money and money and money and time So that when the actual ceremony happens, the couple is completely backed into the corner with everybody watching them. That's all a wedding is. And at that precise moment, you say to them, Now you take your (laughs) vows. And we be watching. And everybody's watching. Dearly beloved, we are gathered together here in the sight of God and in the presence of these witnesses to join together this man and woman in holy matrimony. (laughs) Mike Bowles is building our building, and he says all all a general contractor does is two things. He manages the mistakes and he gets everybody to back themselves into a corner that you have to fight out. What does it mean to have children? It's so sad today that everybody has to make a decision to have a child. It used to be that when you went to bed with your wife, you were backing yourself into a corner? And guess what? She starts having babies, and you just get back further in the corner, and all those people at your wedding are watching. You'd be really backed into a corner. <laughs> And now let's see if you love each other. All right, now what is love? Hard-edged, hard work. Remember, marriage makes the love. Remember, giving birth to the child makes the love. And so what is love? Love is patience. I always tell people, here's an idea. If God gives the ability to nurse to one of the two sexes, does it not make sense that he gives some other gifts, psychological, emotional, spiritual, that are compensatory to that mind-numbing demand that goes on throughout most of history for years? I mean, here's here's an idea. Women are more patient than men. Am I a sexist? It's just it's so crazy that people can actually look at the bodies God gives us but not realize that women are more patient than men. What would be the chief attribute somebody that nurses for years would have to have? I think patience. Go ahead, you can say it. It's, we're not on Facebook here. You guys, you're just so cowed. You don't know what the word cowed means, but that's what you are. We have to begin to celebrate the patience that God has given our mothers and our wives. We have to thank them for it, and we have to cultivate it. Because it's a wonderful gift. Love is patient. Okay? What else is love? Love is kind. That woman whose husband is nasty to her, will respond in kindness. She will, are you ready? She will not respond, are you ready, in kind. She will respond out of generosity and sweetness. In other words, her patience doesn't just extend, it's a character trait. And it doesn't just extend to her child that she has to nurse, it extends to her husband that she has to nurse. I mean I think a lot of women in here probably would say it's a pretty accurate description of how they feel with their husband a lot of the time. He's such a baby. It's like I'm his nurse. Love is kind. In other words, love gives good gifts to others that they have no right to ask of us. We're kind. God is kind. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. God has not dealt with us the way we deserve. You think about what you deserve from God. What do you deserve from God? That's exactly what we deserve from God. We deserve hell. And you know something? We deserve hell because of what our federal head, Adam, did. In other words, we were dead before we were first created. We were dead in our trespasses and sins because of our father, Adam. Man, we hate that, you know. What does he have to do with me? But until you realize that Adam's sin corrupted you from the core, like David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, from the moment of conception, I was a sinner. You won't understand yourself. And you know, I'm, I'm just quoting Pascal. Without this truth, we do not understand ourselves, he says. And so what do we deserve from God? We don't deserve repentance. We don't deserve him to give us the gift of repentance. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so why can't you be kind to your son that needs you to lead him to repentance too? God was kind and led you to repentance. Can't you be kind to other people that need to repent? Or is it tit for tat? Huh? Are you the perfect uh, tally keeper? You know, you sit in your bedroom with your abacus. You know, you have a calculator. and It's like, oh, negative call. Nope, 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 nope. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Envy, jealousy and envy. So again... Envy is not just wanting what somebody else has. Envy is aggressive. Envy doesn't just want what somebody else has, but resents the fact that they have what they have. (laughs) And that's you. It's not just that you like good things. It's also that you really don't want somebody else to have good things. You know? I don't know why Taylor gets to have a nicer pickup truck than I have. I don't know why Taylor has LED lights when I don't. That's my son. You know where envy can be? It's hard to imagine, but envy can be between a husband and wife over the affection of children. You know, you typically have one of the two Spouses who is better at discipline and the other one is better at all the soft edge stuff. And I remember when our oldest, Heather, was about three one day. We had such fun with Heather. And I said to her one day, because I like to tease, I said, Heather, who do you love more, mommy or daddy? And she was in between us and she looked at me and she looked at her mother and she looked back at me and she said, that's a bad question. <laughs> Yeah, lover, wasn't it about three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was amazing. And so do you even envy your husband or your wife? And man, the envy between siblings. (laughs) You have never met envy until you look at siblings. And that's why all of you should just have one child. (laughs) Because it's so much safer to have one child because then they can't envy each other. I mean, there are so many sins you can commit with perfect motives. Okay, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. My wife was just lecturing me about nobody gets my humor. All right. That was a joke. I don't think you should have one child because you have sibling rivalry. Sibling rivalry is good. The more, the better. Because it sanctifies you, right? Okay, love is patient, love is kind and is not jealous, doesn't envy, love does not brag. Many of you should give up Facebook and Instagram because you're just bragging. I know you don't think that's what you're doing, but everybody else knows what you're doing because when other young mothers look at what you post, they feel guilty, and that's an act of aggression. You know, we as Christians have very sophisticated ways of bragging. You know, we talk about how God, is, God has been so merciful. I didn't deserve any, but have you seen what my children just did? And I just don't know what I'm doing as a homeschooling mom, but my children are so bright. Pastor Bailey brought my son up, and boy, my son only made a couple mistakes. That's my son. And so, Pastor Bailey should never bring any young men up to the pulpit because the young women will resent that it's young men. The mothers will be jealous that it was another mother's child. It's just, you know, it'd be easier for us to just stop living. <laughs> There's so many occasions for sin, you know? You really shouldn't get married because when you get married, it's like sin is everywhere. Poor John and Jill. (laughs) Joke. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag, and is not arrogant. Arrogant goes with the next one in verse five. Does not act unbecomingly. Arrogant and acting unbecomingly The word unbecomingly, a lot of people use a word that's obsolete now. Nobody uses it to explain this act unbecomingly. And the word is the word froward. It's not the word forward. That's F-O-R-W-A-R-D. It is the word froward. F-R-O-W-A-R-D. Now, what does froward mean? It's acting unbecomingly. A froward person is a person who is um, poisonously uh, forward. Um, Well, that was quite forward of him, you know. Have you ever heard that expression? You know, he was just a little bit too sure of himself. He He just waltzed right in there and told everybody what to do. He didn't even ask any questions. It was just, he was forward. You know, brash, pushy. Uh, The froward man is a man who is convinced that he is God's gift to every situation, and he doesn't even need to stop and think. He's just froward. And women are quite froward also. And so arrogance and froward go together. A proud man will tell you, absolutely everything that he thinks and be convinced that that's the solution to every problem of your life. Even if he is a convict in prison, he has a solution to everybody. He's froward. Nobody's asked him, but you know what he thinks and you know where you're falling down according to him and what you should do to correct it. And so this is arrogance and froward. You know how your husband just wants to solve the problem, doesn't want to listen to you? He's just impulsive and thrower. He finds out there's a problem, he'll solve it. And all you want him to do is to listen to you. But he's, he's a problem. He's just, he's froward. Love does not seek its own, and this is the one that really does sum up all of them, isn't it? Doesn't seek his own. You know, being froward, being arrogant, being impatient, unkind, uh, being jealous, being envious, it all has to do with me. You know that song, the country song, Want to Talk About Me? And that's the opposite Of what? Well, it's the opposite of not seeking its own. And so when we love others, we're not seeking our own, but we're seeking what? We're seeking their own. What is a mother doing? I remember my brother-in-law, Peter, um, saying to me one day that There's absolutely no growth ever as a Christian without death. Okay? And that was good enough for starters, but then he added a little comment. And he said it starts with a mother nursing. And you think about a mother nursing, and it is not about her. I mean, she can enjoy nursing, but it's not about her. No woman says, well, you know something? I, I think I need a little nursing. <laughs> you know? She does it because the baby cries. That's why she does it. She's convinced that it's helpful. And so she nurses. And so the Bible says that love, what? Does not seek its own. A mother gives up the nutrition that she's taken in. And she gives her work of eating, of preparing everything, she gives that work to her child. And she will give herself to that child until she is dead. As a matter of fact, she will not stop giving herself to her child until she dies. That's the definition of motherhood. You have to have faith. Have faith. Have faith. Have faith. Pray. Pray. Listen, people. When I preach about children and mothers, and, and I have a row up here, and I want you to realize that nothing in the rest of your life is more important to you than the faith of your children. Nothing. Nothing there have been parents who have said to me that they would rather their children had died because of the horror of children who turn from God. And so pray for these parents because someday you're going to be in their shoes. There will be children that you love, that you would die for. And those children are slopping pigs in California or wherever they swap pigs today. And so motherhood is the very definition of not seeking your own. Is not provoked and doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. I fail on all these, but is not provoked, maybe <laughs> maybe that one's the top. Impatience up there too, but love is not provoked. You know, I have these little boys, young men reading. And I can just imagine what I would be like if they were my sons at home and nobody was watching. You don't know the difference between prophecy and prophesy? Are you kidding me? What is wrong with you? You don't know the difference between a straight head and a Phillips screwdriver? What is wrong with you? Go back and do it right Now, my sons love me, but boy, (laughs) they learned the hard way. And what is love? Is not provoked. So now, one more and we'll stop. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. All right, Are are you a keeping tracker? Are you somebody that keeps track of the wrongs that you've suffered? Huh?
1: Mm?
0: Really, it's a stupid question because all I should do is say, are you alive today? I mean, that's like all millennials know how to do, is keep track of the wrongs they've suffered. And would you understand me if I said, that's pathetic? (laughs) Your list is only going to grow the rest of your life. Just wait until you see what your kids do to you. If you think your dad was lousy. No, not you, but the rest of you, yes. Listen. Victimhood is pathetic. Jesus is the only victim who has ever lived. He had no sin. No sin. And so Jesus is the only one who has not deserved what he has, what he has gotten. And you know, the beginning of spiritual life for the other of the two thieves, right, on the crosses, the beginning of spiritual life was for him to tell the other one to shut his mouth. Are you with me? And then he said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, This day you will be with me in paradise. You have to stop keeping track. Because if you're keeping track, ultimately it always is about God. It's not other people that you're angry and bitter against. It's always God. Always, always, always God. Who do you think has determined what times and places and people are in your life? It's God. You don't, don't think that you can separate your accusations from your mother or your father and God. You can't do that. God's not the author of evil, but God is the one that has given you the dispensations in your life and has allowed them to come to you. And so if you're bitter, you're keeping track You're not loving, number one, because love doesn't keep track of wrongs. Okay? And number two, if other people treated you the way you treat other people and kept track of your wrongs, how do you think the list would tally? You know? Honestly. Do you have any self-critical capacity? Do you really know what you are like? You. Not anybody else, what you are like. I remember when we had a Um, And I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. I remember we had a a pastor from Mexico come to visit our church up in Wisconsin. And uh, his English was horrible. And it's one of the best sermons I've ever received in my life. And he got up there and he said, I come to America and I go into bookstores and I look at books and every title is Every title in bookstore is, My Mama Don't Love Me. In Christian bookstores, every title, My Mama Don't Love Me. And he said, in Mexico, we have a saying, and the saying is, don't stir the outhouse. And he said, you, American, he said, you... You're 20 years old, you say, my mama don't love me. You're 30 years old, you say, my mama don't love me. You're 40 and 50 years old, and you're still saying, my mama don't love me. And he said, stop stirring the outhouse. It stink." Love does not keep track of wrongs. Love doesn't exploit the culture of victimhood. Because love knows that every exploitation of the culture of victimhood comes at the loss of your loved ones. It's you stepping on top of your mother and father to make yourself bigger and greater. It's evil. It is patricide and matricide. Stop keeping track. Stop it. Because your bone that you have to pick is not with your mom and dad, it's with God. Because God's the one that gave you your mother and father. And listen, I... I don't care how awful your mother and father were. There were many wonderful things that you have received from that home. If it wasn't from your dad, it was from your mother, or it was your siblings. It's it's impossible to live today without being blessed by those we live with. You remember that this Thanksgiving season. If you're going to give thanks, stop fighting. Stop it. Do not fight this Thanksgiving. Why? Well, because you're going to love. Why? Because love doesn't keep track of wrongs. Yeah, the stuffing's going to come to you, and the pig before you, who is your older brother, will already have taken so much that there's hardly anything left. Stop fighting. You know, you've known your whole life he's a pig. So, what else is new, you know? Can you live with a pig? You live with yourself. (laughs) Right? Right? All right, now what's our motivation? Our motivation isn't negative. Our motivation is positive. Remember I said that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. On every one of these things, what we see is the character of God. And we turn our eyes on God. And then we have motivation. Because we realize not only that God is patient, that God is kind. David Carell last week brought me this uh, illustration. He said in the Old Testament, when God reveals himself to Moses and says, slow to anger, remember that that's God's description of himself to Moses. David said that the Hebrew says, long of nose. And that the reason it's long of nose is that the Hebrews would point out the fact that when you get angry, your nose gets red. And so long of nose, man, it takes you really long time to get red nose. Okay? God is long-suffering. And your faith is an indication of that. He is the hound of heaven, and, you know, you can look at that as being negative negative. But it's also a wonderful gift to us that God's the hound of heaven. He doesn't let us go. And he doesn't consume us. But he leads us with kindness to repentance. So that's our, that's our calling this week as we love each other in our various gatherings, right? We're just going to be kind, right? We're going to be patient, right? Not going to keep track of wrongs. Not going to be envious. Not going to be arrogant, froward, or boastful. Right? We're going to be about others and not ourselves, right? Mm? Aren't you glad I didn't ask you women if you apologized to your husband this week? I, listen, I, I apologize for ending that way because I was really irritated. But I think I misread you. I think a lot of you had, but you, were, you wouldn't say it. That's what I got by emails and stuff from people this week. So and including from husbands who said, No, you read it wrong. Actually my wife did ask me to forgive her for something last week. But listen, women, if 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 last week or the week before you did it for the first time, try it again. That's <laughs> a joke. Let's pray.